You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 359 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Gentlemen. Good evening. Oh, yeah. Happy Veterans Day. Yeah, that's when this is airing, is Veterans Day or uh, Armistice Day. Armistice Day in Europe. Right. So, in Canada. Yeah. Uh, Seth, you said you had a query from a listener. So we had a follow-up, um, and someone was asking, this is feeding it off of the conversation we had about Bonvoy and losing award charts, sort of, uh, that came about in the discussion last week. And I think, Stephen, in that show, you mentioned you had way too many points. Um, I'm not sure uh, how many Foz has, but I assume plenty. Um, and the question that came up was, given that the you know the value isn't there necessarily for the hotel stays and whatnot, why not just transfer them out? Hmm. And, uh, you know, the, I think the options for transferring to hotel programs are generally mediocre. United is probably the best given their relationship. But, you know, I, could, I would I would guess that part of the answer to that is because why do you need more United points also? <laughs> um, this but, is true. But, you know, what, and or why keep focusing on, I mean, I'll, I'll extend the question of why keep staying at the properties if, you know, have you just given up on the points mattering and the status is worth more? Or is it just oh, habit at this point? That's a good question. I, I'll let I'll let Foz answer first about that. <laughs> I mean, candidly, for Marriott, I I generally don't stay at Marriotts at this point, um, unless they're like I've got free certificates or something I need to burn, uh, or there's no Hyatt nearby. So Marriott is my secondary choice. I'd say in the last nine, year, ninety five percent of my stays have been at a Hyatt. Uh, as far as points, where would I transfer to them to get to get any additional value? That's the problem. Um, I have way too many points in too many programs and they all just sit there until rainy day when I need them, but there really isn't any value transferring them either. Yeah. Did you have yeah. a follow up? Did you have a question on that stuff? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I guess at, at some point, right. We, we've often talked about the frequency with which points accrue value rather than lose value over time is basically nil. We could, I've, I think I could have identified two or three times where it's happened, but they are very rare and often short lived. Um, at which, you know, then just further raises the question of like, are you like, and I can sort of keep coming back to the, I mean, do, do you even worry about it or think about it? Or is it just sort of, yeah, it is what it is. And I use them when I want to. And I don't really like focus on or obsess about the value. I mean, really, I'm waiting for United to bring back Qantas first awards to redeem them for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, if you do that, you can get two actually for the price of one. And it's only like 60,000 points round trip. Yeah. Yeah, it's a steal. No, I mean, it, it's really more the latter of, you know, it's just, it is, they're there. If and when I need them, they're there, but I don't really have a good use of them. So I'm going to take a penalty transferring them out anyway, so why bother? So, I mean, when I plan trips, you know, as as vacations, I typically look at the, the points uh, redemption and the, sa- the sale price of the room. Um and if if the math for the for the actual sale price of the room doesn't add up to what I want to pay, I'll typically throw points at it. Um, I mean, I guess so. At some point, right, this becomes an optimization game of like Marriott points should be worth at least say a penny. I don't know, like point eight cents, whatever, whatever that numbers you have in your mind of what they are. But at some point, does it? And it's like, and I have money, I can spend money on bookings too. But at some point, doesn't it become a question of sure? But also, I have these points, and I'm not like I have no other use for them. I, I'm I'm sort of going through it with. Uh, Radisson Rewards, which yeah. that whole thing is a disaster. But like, I booked a room in Abu Dhabi for next weekend because they had a park in. I think is what I'm saying. I think I cheaped out on the Radisson Blue. Um, 
even though at this point in my brain, the points are worthless, even though I know they have some value, but it was like, on a sense per point basis, it was a terrible, not a terrible, but not a great deal. It certainly wasn't what I would have ever, you know, gone out of my way to redeem for five years ago, 10 years ago. But also like, I've got these points, they're almost expiring again. And what do I care? Like, I, I just want to use them at this point, I guess. That's a good, I mean, it's a good point. Like, I, I feel like part of me has this like nasty tendency to keep the points, uh, and spend the money if, if, if it's within a price point that I'm willing to pay, not even like looking at the cents, right? Price per, you know, price per mile, yeah. or price per point. I, I just say, well, I'm not willing to pay 500 bucks or whatever a night. I'll use points. But I think from your, from what you're saying, I do agree. Like I need to be more pragmatic with it and say, look, why spend any cash on this? Right. For the most part, point stays count for elite status. Um, and. I mean, granted, I'm a lifetime whatever platinum titan. I don't know what I am, but I'm lifetime whatever with Marriott. So I don't really even care about that anymore. So yeah, I mean, why spend cash when I don't need to? I'm with Fazo about the transfer part. Like, I can't think of anything that I would transfer the points to that would give me actual, actually more value or even equal value, really. Um, maybe United. I don't know. What's the, do you guys know the transfer rate? I thought United was one to one, but I could be wrong. I mean, if I needed United miles, I guess I could do that. <laughs> that, that just, uh, you know, if I really needed a, a flight, I guess yeah, I could. Yeah, it's one to one. Yeah. I, so I don't know. I mean, it's a good, it's a good question. I, I feel like maybe I should just burn some points and use them while I can and, you know, not spend the cash. Ooh, you can earn a 10% bonus when you convert Marriott points into mileage plus miles. What? There you go, Foz. Your, your million points becomes, what is that? Uh, a million one hundred thousand? I'm busting out that solid math skills tonight. <laughs> yes, sir. That's more United, more yes, United sir. points for me. Yay. <laughs> I mean, but I, don't know, I don't want to sound like too down on travel and whatever, or like on points-based travel and things like that. But at some point, like I learned a long time ago that at some point, like the, the cash required, like I was never going to earn enough points mm-hmm. to actually justify my travels yeah, or to cover my travels. And so it had to get good at also optimizing dollar spend. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. Unless you're unless you're manufacturing spin, which I don't think any of us really endorse. Um it's kind of like mining cryptocurrency intent <laughs> plus. Um the uh I don't I don't think there's any you're not gonna earn enough over time to pay for your, your travel. Like it's not like one of those like uh what is it, perpetual motion machines? Like it just doesn't it doesn't work that way, right? There has to be a cash outlay at some point. Um for it to be a, a winning proposition. So I mean I know there's people who do it. I know there's people who do it. We've had them on the show who Manufacture spend or travel, you know, only in economy middle seats, uh, and they pay with points. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I'm traveling. I'm actually trying to sort out an economy trip to Europe for ten days, twelve days in December. Hey, I, hey, I, hey don't 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 tip the bonus topic. Well, well, that. that wasn't even where I was going for the bonus topic. It's a second one, but sure, we can talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, stick around. Spoiler uh, alert. <laughs> apparently, uh, no. You can continue. I'm just kidding. nah. We can do it later. I don't care. It's okay. it, I'm like, but I'm struggling between. Do I redeem points? Do I just pay cash? None of none of it's a good value, and none of the times are great. And sorting through basic economy on transatlantic flights it adds now that those exist is a pain in the ass too. So yeah. I, I wonder, I mean, we're going to talk about, you know, today we're recording this on the 8th, which today, you know, the U.S. border reopened. Um, but, you know, have you seen that already happening, Seth, where your prices are going up or transatlantic costs are going up? Not really, I would say. I think what I'm seeing, I mean, which is to say, I like, there's still plenty of seats available, but I'm also booking into early December. So mm-hmm. a month a month from now or 
honestly, it's actually my outbound is 21 days. My outbound is uh, 21 days from yesterday, from this Thanksgiving Sunday. So the good news is that the 21 advance, adva- day advance purchase fares to the 14 day advance purchase fares or whatever didn't screw me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, 21 days out and then 30 ish, 33 days for on the return. It's far enough out that there's still some seats available and there's fares, but it's, I'm looking at like for a regular economy seat, like 800 ish. Mm-hmm. Basic economy is like 550. Um, yeah. and then you pay a small premium if I want to nonstop one way or the other, um, based on mixing and matching and open jaw gets complicated, but premium economy is in the $1,800 range and business is in like $4,200 range. So. Not not super values, but also I'm flying to London and Zurich from yeah. Boston. So like not not markets where I would expect the values either. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to distinguish whether it's because of the destination or because of the times. The, right? Or the demand. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't think I mean I'm sure I hope for the airline's sake the flights are a little more full. I hope for my sake they're not because I like an empty seat next to me. <laughs> uh selfish. You're selfish. Um, but I but I admit it. <laughs> so i mean coming back to it being november 8th right uh there was a ba and virgin atlantic parallel departure at heathrow today to kind yeah. of mark the occasion and apparently like the two of them had been working with nats the air traffic control company um and in heathrow since like early this summer when they thought the border was going to reopen for the summer season on um, trying to schedule this and make a big deal out of it and it's it's kind of funny to me because uh, it obviously is a huge deal for the European airlines with European point of sale, right? Getting yeah. vaccinated locals to be able to fly into the United States is a big deal. Um, but as Ned Russell, who is writes for Skiff now and who's we've had on the show once or twice, I think mentioned, he's like, or as U.S. airlines call it, Monday. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and to an extent that's true. Like, I'd say JetBlue is finally running full daily schedules instead of its limited four times a week thing that it was doing while the border was still closed. So one U.S. airline at least is making a difference. Is is shifting. I think some of the other carriers might be eventually adding some frequencies to deal with it. But it's also like didn't happen until we got to winter. So there's not as much demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question is how steady will that demand? You know, obviously there was a burst of demand for open you know the first flight thing i think ba actually like did a bunch of made a big deal of who was on the first flight even and like did as a promotions and invited guests rather than just generally selling tickets as how i I read the release um so you know it's there's a lot of fun things like that the the parallel takeoff thing is pretty cool right right like heathrow doesn't do parallel operations really like that they do one runway for inbound and one runway for outbound and they switch them around from time to time, depending on the time of day and like noise, whatever. But they did it for this and it was, it was neat. I, I think it was pretty cool. Um, obviously it's easier to do now when utilization at the airport is relatively light because they had to basically like schedule an eight minute block. I think they said with no arrivals, no, which you, yeah. you could imagine in like in normal times that would never work. Yeah, because when, you, when you're at Heathrow and you look out the window at the arrivals, it seems like they're pretty pretty stacked up and close. Oh, no, it's just it's got to be a steady flow. Every minute is accounted for, and yeah. uh, anyone who misses messes everything up. So, uh, yeah, that that's uh, that's interesting to me. They had to they sort of had to find that not you know that they had to slot around some extra time and had to talk with you know the the inbound controllers and all the scheduling and everything and make sure they had that gap. Um, and then there was like you know planning out how early do we have to push back to make sure there's enough time to taxi out and, 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 and. So uh, the other thing they did was there was a cleared for takeoff, hold for roll command instead of just cleared for takeoff. Mm-hmm. And so they gave both pilots clearance to go and then did three, two, one now, basically at the same time on both 
sides so that they could start rolling at the same time, but without having, because it's too long of a read back to, you know, for the clear to take off, whatever. Yeah. So they had to do a, they had to do a couple of quirky things. So I, I, like, I didn't know that there was such a thing as cleared for takeoff, hold for roll command in, <laughs> in air traffic control, uh, parlance, but apparently there was. I mean, it's interesting and fun. And yeah. And there's a sure. pretty, there's a pretty slick video, like from Nats and just, you know, with the ATC comments on it, some of the, that. And then like they actually had uh, like a 360 camera or a super, uh, panorama camera in the tower. And at one point you can actually see both departures <laughs> from the tower running parallel. So that's neat. Yeah. I wonder, you know, with, with airspace in the UK and specifically London's airspace being relatively quiet these days. How how many passengers are kind of taken off guard with not holding anymore while they wait to land? Not, run, not running loops? In the yeah. yeah, I mean, that used to be like an extra 20, 30 minutes of sleep, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because they'd wake you up planning. Even if they knew that, they'd wake you up because it was you were circling so low. Yeah, but I would still sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would always, I would always just fall asleep at that point. Like, <laughs> so you're just sitting there and sitting there and just doze off. Yeah. Hey, look, left turn. <laughs> left turn. Oh, there's London. Oh, there it is again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah it's over, over Gatwick. <laughs> look, kids, Big Ben, Parliament building. Uh, <laughs> um, no, it's uh, that's a fair point. It, it, you know, it's probably good on fuel burn. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, what else do we have? Uh, the I should also sorry. Oh, I just want to point out uh, on the they were like there was discussion of whether there'd be it was a truly a race or whatever, and you know how it would be managed and this and that and. Apparently, and whether they could try to do parallel arrivals in JFK, mm-hmm. um, the, they were landing on the fours, I think, today. So you can't do a true parallel landing, but you can do an offset parallel. Um, but apparently, um, even though British Air was like, it's not a race, we're just happy to everybody get there. British Air also said that because they were on the north runway. So as they took off, they had to turn a little bit to the right. <laughs> and so that put them behind Virgin Atlantic. And apparently one of the uh, controllers for the U.S. Oceanic Airspace asked... Virgin, if they wanted to pair up with BA for the arrival and the pilot's response was, hell no, we're in the lead, we're going in, or, or something to that effect. I mean, it wasn't hell no, but it was, no, we're, we're ahead, of, we're 100 miles ahead of them, we're going to keep it, thanks. Uh, kind of thing. I hope it's on live ATC somewhere. <laughs> um, it, I don't know if they have the oceanic frequencies, but there's definitely like, does it count as winning a race if you don't, if the other part, if the other party didn't know they were running one? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that Seinfeld episode. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry cheats. Uh, <laughs> um, so the return of the albatross, Seth. Have you ever been on the albatross? I haven't. I was actually out taking pictures when you guys were here in Portland on it. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah. So it's a flying boat um, yeah. manufactured from like, I don't think 47 to 61, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I made those numbers up, but it's the right time frame. Uh, and like, it, so obviously it hasn't been manufactured in like 60 years now. And it's coming back for some reason. And I'm not in like, uh, man, I lost the tab. Okay. Um, there's like the comment that was made is, so they're replacing the, the old, uh, piston engines with turboprops. Okay. Um, so that's good news. Um, and it'll be more reliable, whatever. Um, nice. But there's also like, sorry, 49 to 66. That was close. Um, apparently it's, they're going to have a 28 passenger version of it mm-hmm. or uh medevac version or search and rescue where it can fly up to 12 hours which seems <laughs> like an awfully long time to be airborne for especially for something that looks as absurd Cumbersome. as this thing does <laughs> um extendable to 20 hours with external fuel tanks which i guess you'd put hang them off the wings i don't know yeah, probably in the pods where the, in the floats no not in the floats they probably just have external like, like pod things put on. yeah interesting um but the this the uh this article is saying 
that the chairman of the company, the high net, there's a quote, the high net worth market for the G111T albatross is extremely promising. This is coming from an Austra- the Australian owners. To the north of Australia, Fiji hosts numerous high-end net worth individuals that own islands for both private and resort development use. Some of these islands have changed hands so many times I've lost count because owners need to find a reliable, efficient, timely, and cost-effective method of transporting cargo, customers and guests, staff and support services to and from these islands. These guys literally think that like island owners in Fiji are going to support the production run of amphibious planes so that they can get cargo and passengers out to their islands. I mean, I think, you know, to be clear to our listeners, like this isn't like bringing one or two of these back out of the desert or something like this is building new planes. And I have no idea how many they think they're going to be able to build yeah. I, I or, think or, it's, or sell at least. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, it's kind of it's kind of wild to me to think that this is needed. But I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I I, I, I sort of get it for like. Moving heavy cargo. Oh, I see. There's a picture on here that shows the pods. Sorry. Um, and yeah, they just hang under the wing, but not, not the floats. Um, I, I sort of get it of like, you need to be able to move more than a Cessna with floats on it can tug around, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's great for moving guests back and forth. Like think the Maldives does it with great success. Uh, the Bahamas are doing it with better success than they used to. And it's sort of coming back again now, but. It's hard for me to say, like, if you need to, like, move big amounts of supplies, why is this a good idea versus, like, rolling it on a boat? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could see it. I mean, part of it is you could run shuttles, right? Of If, if you're, like, supplying a an island resort, you could run, you know, that, that two days provisions on one and then go back with passengers or something like that. You know, I don't, you could probably do something like that. But is that necessary? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, what's what are the Maldives? Their what are they? What are they on? Um, I think they're mostly Cessnas. Yeah, let's see. Yeah. Trying to see like like what yeah. they what they fly. Yeah, I know. Uh, like Tropic Ocean Air down out of Fort Lauderdale does a ton of Cessnas, and I, they're like the third largest seaplane operator in the world. Yeah, and they're two oh eights with pontoons on them. So Maldivian is has a, some Dash eights. And they have a twin. They have twin otters. Okay, they're seaplanes, and they have fifteen seats. So maybe you want to carry more people. I guess I could kind of see that. I, I don't know. But, I mean, but there, again, back to your point. Like you're not going to sell hundreds of these. That's yeah. You know, um, Looks like the, yeah. Wait, so wait, the dash eight. The dash eights don't have floats on them. Is it no. just the twin otter that does? Just the twin otter. Okay. What do you think, Foz? I mean, if they're cheap enough, I'd buy one. I don't know where to put it. <laughs> well, you, just need, you just need a river. That's all you need. Maybe I can convert some of my Mario points into one. <laughs> yeah, you guys joke, but there's a bunch of scrap airplanes hanging out in Kenya that are on sale. I think reserve price for some of the 737s is like six grand. That's great, except they're in Kenya, and I don't know how I would get it back. Oh, we I know, know, we know a guy. Area. We know a guy. That's the funny part. We know a guy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think when I asked him what it would cost to move a 340-200 from Paris to Pease, my local airport, he said it was about 100 grand. So um, you can have the plane for 4,000, but yeah, it's, it's going to cost yeah. you 150 to get it. <laughs> and that's assuming, and, that, and you got, I'm, I have to assume that the ones that are on sale for four or six grand are not in uh, serviceable condition. It's like the Ticketmaster convenience fee <laughs> <laughs> for your plane. Oh. As an aside to that, just you made me think of it. I bought tickets for the uh, Cog Railroad that goes up Mount Washington here for Thanksgiving uh-huh. when my parents are visiting because I think that'll be a nice thing to do with them. Uh, hopefully the weather will be clear. And they charge a convenience fee because, of course, they do. Um, but on the website, it's listed as C-O-N-V period fee. 
and at the bottom, there's a translation that says C-O-N-V fee equals convenience fee to make sure that people know that con- <laughs> that convenience fee means convenience fee. As <laughs> opposed to convention fee? I, it, or any other concept that people would manage to imagine. It's, this, is, this is like, uh, convenience fees on tickets was like parking at suburban hotels. Just put it in the freaking room rate. Yeah. At that point, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, what else do we have? Wheelchair incident on United. Uh, this is nuts. This is, this is awful, is yeah. what this is. So, yeah. I mean, do I have that? I don't have that one open either. Um, basically, the the short version of the story is United lost someone's wheelchair, and as a result of it, the passenger died. Um, depending on how you interpret all of the details, United might be able to claim that they are not culpable, truly. But um, as reported by the group, uh, basically, uh, the airline destroyed the wheelchair, which was custom designed to support a spinal cord injury and left leg amputation. Um, was stuck dur- in the airport for five hours trying to sort it out, uh, during which uh, the passenger was basically left in a normal, like the typical, just, you know, airline provided ones that you get in the terminal. And, uh, and apparently that one even was just, uh, a bro- was also broken. And, that sitting in that for so long caused the development of a pressure sore. When she finally got home, she was admitted to the hospital um, and ultimately um, had uh, muscle spasms, uh, had to use a, had to use a loaner chair while fighting with United airlines for, God, I don't know how long months, I think at least weeks uh, to get it, the $30,000 chair replaced. Um, eventually, um, caused additional hospitalizations. The pressure sore became infected. The infection reached her hip bone, requiring emergency surgery. And then she passed away. Wow. Um, so there's, there's a whole lot bad about this. I know that, uh, the, you know, airlines have, are only recently had to start reporting even on how often they damage wheelchairs, um, and transport devices, which is still far more often, uh, than it should be. I think it's this says twenty nine per day. I'm not sure how accurate that number is. Seems high to me based on what I remember reading in the reports. But um, yeah, not good. And this is this is a motorized wheelchair, right? I would assume so. I mean, I guess when will airlines just suck it up and admit when they screwed up and just do the right thing? Yeah. All evidence, gonna, all, all evidence points to never. But I'm 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 intrigued by your ideas and wish to subscribe to your newsletter. But this is a pretty basic thing, right? passenger hand hand over a wheelchair for you to get get it to point from point a to point b so it's there for them on the other side at that point you take control of it you're responsible for it. it's like when i take my car in for service they screw it up they have to fix it yeah i mean i definitely i i, I certainly agree with you i think you know there's a i will give you this thing if it is not in the exact same condition when you give it back to me you are 100 percent responsible for immediate and complete you know resolution restitution I think without a uh, without further mandate, though, that's never going to happen. Yeah, but like this, like this is going to end up costing United way more than had they just replaced the wheelchair. And right. and and I think right, like this is basic stuff, right? This is this is handling luggage, and and in this case, it's someone's like livelihood, right? Well, so the problem is they treat it like luggage, and it's not exactly. Yeah, I can always, I can buy clean underwear anywhere. Yeah, well, you can't buy a thirty thousand dollar, you know, electric motorized wheelchair anyway custom built yeah um and i feel like in these types of instances i mean we've talked about disabled passengers before on this show and some of the the headaches and crap that they have to put up with just to get on an airplane um but it seems like the airlines would make it a point hey 
this is important to this person. We're going to make sure they get it like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm kind of like Foz. Like I just dream too big. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, well, I, mean, it's I think this wild. is one of those examples where the bean counters only looked at the beans and then look at the larger impact. And now there's going to be a much larger impact yeah. to the airline. For what it's worth, in August 2021, the Department of Transportation reports 811 mishandled uh, wheelchairs and scooters out of 57,000 checked for a rate of 1.4%. Um, so not quite the 30 a day uh, number, but still a lot. Well, the other thing I'd say, right, in regards to wheelchairs and medical equipment, a lot of this stuff can't just be thrown down the slide at the jetway. Yeah. No, it goes down. I mean, I watched in Puerto Rico when I was down there last weekend, they waiting for the flight crew to come off a different plane to get on my plane. I walked over to their gate just to see how long it was taking because we were very delayed. Um, and one of the reasons that they were delayed is they have to stay on the plane while passengers are still on board. And one of the passengers had a custom scooter that had to come up and it actually came up through an elevator at the adjacent gate. Okay. And so I had to like sort of wheel it over and reassemble, like bring it up the elevator and reassemble it for the person to get on. But how often does that happen versus pretty good when it's going down, just throwing it down the slide? I think they're pretty good about not just throwing it down the slide. I don't know for sure. Yeah. I, you know, is it, did they get damaged because it wasn't secured and it got bounced or some, or because it was secured and a bag fell on it because of the, whatever was next to it wasn't secured. It's, I don't know those details, but, um, Spirit Airlines, 6.5% failure rate. You go, guys. Well, I mean, th- reading this, right? I'm reading this, this, one of the stories, and they said that the re- wheelchair was considered demolished. Yeah. How? How? That one. And two, United insisted that it could be fixed. I didn't realize that they were wheelchair experts. Well, well, presumably it wasn't like a random flight attendant making that statement, but yes. <laughs> well, even if it wasn't a random flight attendant, even if right. it was in corporate. Or baggage services, whatever. It's like someone at corporate, I, I would like to think that there's someone who actually understands the stuff there. Obviously, probably not based on how they treated it. Yeah. Um, but you'd think there should be. Yeah, exactly. Um, what fuzz? You, you seem like you're going to say something. It just escapes me. <laughs> it's like basic uh, logic. Yeah. You screwed up, deal with it. But unfortunately, as we've learned, airlines won't ever take responsibility for anything unless they're forced to. And even then, they still won't. Right. Um, in Palma de Mallorca, a uh, crazy thing happened on a I Moroccan st- flight. I still don't understand all the details on this. Apparently, like on final approach, a flight from, my, from somewhere in Morocco to Palma de Mallorca, a passenger claimed like illness, like I don't know why, but like they were having terrible pains or something like that, such that the plane stopped short of the gate, possibly still on the runway to, or like on the, right on the taxiway for the passenger to get medical assistance. And while that was happening, a whole bunch of the other passengers on board, like popped the slides and ran. Zombie apocalypse? A rave? And and it turns out the passenger claiming to be ill was not (laughs) at all, was completely fine. Like, and I, Guess the others all just sort of ran off into Palma de Mallorca, which, as far as places to find ways to immigrate into Europe, I guess that's a cool way to do it. But you know, better than swimming across. But I don't know. Do you think that? Do you think that's what was happening? Lacking any other details, I have to assume that. Yeah. And I didn't go searching for the details because I like my version of the story better. Yeah. Um. Yes, I think that's what it was, though. Crazy. So. I, I mean, some of the tweets about it were like, what happened? You know, zombie yeah. apocalypse, you know, like what's going on, you know? Yeah. But, but also like, they, but like the runway, was, they had to close the field for a while until they could sort out like if there's anybody still out there. God. It's a whole bunch of planes diverted. They weren't sure if they're going to continue on or return back. Like, and how do you explain that to your travel insurance company? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, well, let me tell you, everything uh, was going great until someone said they were sick and everybody got off the plane because they were scared or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then the insurance adjuster's like, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, claim denied. Yeah. Right. Uh, like, so what you're saying is you missed your flight because you were hungover. Yeah. So we're just going to go ahead and deny that claim. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> American is uh, giving some some extra cash to their flight attendants over the holiday season if they work. They really, really, really don't want to run out of staffing. It's like 300%, right? Up to 300%. I think for peak days, which is basically Thanksgiving week, like the Thanksgiving peak and Christmas peak, uh, it's 150% bonus on top of your regular rate. Mm -hmm. And if you also have perfect attendance during the holiday season, that doubles to 300%. And not even doing that, like from now through the end of January through whatever the January or the December bid period. That so you, you don't, uh, you don't call in on your bids, like call, call out. out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so of course one person responded, this is a terrible incentive. It's going to make people show up to work when they shouldn't be there and it's unsafe. Um, to which my response was, yes, the exchange of money for goods and services has always proven to be a disaster for society. Um, because <laughs> I'm a jerk. <laughs> I mean, but it is a perverse incentive. Um, let's be honest. I take jobs that I don't want because I'm going to get more money that way. Like, sure. I don't do it to put, in a way that puts people in danger, I don't think. But, you know, your computer network might crash. Um, I don't know. It's it's a lot of money. It's also somewhat interesting to me that that came up sort of on the backside of the um, the deadline for vaccinations of all employees of whatever the... Uh, for federal contractors got pushed into January instead of December. Mm-hmm. So um, not, it's not quite as critical perhaps, uh, but still, you know, I, I've got no problem with airlines deciding that they're going to pay them that pay the frontline workers more to actually, you know, show up and do this stuff. I think that's great. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy that, that uh, the part that's crazy to me is that they have to pay for people to not call out. Like they have to pay extra to, to incentivize that. But I Which think that's nor- normal around the holidays, right? Because if yeah. you get scheduled and you don't really like, you know, it's, if you've got other stuff you want to do, then you're going to say, I'll just call out and not go in. Yeah. But doesn't that trip? So how does that, how does that work? Right. Because I think in, in the way I understand bidding for flight attendants is, you know, you bid, you get a schedule. Right. Then you, if you call out, right, you have to have a replacement, right? Like someone has That's to pick true. it up. So, well, someone does. I don't think you're responsible for finding that person, right? There's the, you can trade the bid, you can trade lines and, you know, trade shifts, yeah. but. Like, if you get hit by a car and go to the hospital, you're not also expected to find someone to substitute for you. No, no, but I'm saying, like, if you don't find someone, right, like, you're on the hook. Like, I mean, if someone doesn't pick it up, right, you're on the hook. It's not good. I think right. there was, uh, again, you, you get hit by a bus, like, you're not responsible, you, yeah. you, you, right? Like, you're not going to also get fired because you got hit by a bus and didn't show up for work. Um, there was an issue. I know JetBlue had a thing where oftentimes it requires a doctor's note. Mm. Um, to not get in trouble or a certain number of times JetBlue had a issue where the, uh, the, uh, flight attendant union was suing the company for requiring that doctor's note un- under circumstances where it didn't think it was, a pro- where the union didn't think it was appropriate. Um, also speaking of which they got their, uh, tentative, a new tentative agreement that they're going to vote on. Um, hmm. haven't seen any details yet though, so that's always interesting. Um, but that's a year after they turned, they voted down the first one. JetBlue finally got a second one to look at for their flight attendants. But no, it's right. Like the, one of the questions around the Halloween meltdown with that was Americans, right? Yeah. Um, was were people, you know, did not necessarily that people called out, but like, did people not pick up? Did people decide to not pick up extra? Mm-hmm. 
work where it was available open uh open slots or open lines because they wanted to go to the halloween party they wanted to trick-or-treating with their kids or whatever it was whereas on a normal weekend they probably would have um and so the same thing happens at christmas or thanksgiving of yeah i mean like sure i could pick up that extra work or i could go to christmas dinner with my parents finally um and so yeah i i think obviously for some people the 300 percent pay is going to be a whole lot of sorry ma, i'll catch you next week yeah and honestly i respect that that's how i would have approached it that's how i back when i had a normal job and had the opportunity to sort of pick up extra shifts and whatever i would almost always pick up holidays christmas was easy for me because i didn't celebrate it but like um whatever holiday it was like yeah i'll I'll work those hours you all are much happier when you don't have to do it i get paid the extra or the comp time or whatever and my family doesn't care so sure yeah makes sense um united but, but sorry but it is a lot of money that americans going to be paying out it seems like yeah exactly yeah again with the like i fully support that i think the, the crew probably should you know maybe not 300 percent all the time but like why not pay flight attendants and pilots more and have them out you know certainly at the starting you know starting at livable wages it yeah. seems like it'd be a nice idea yeah um united is killing off some routes and i pilot shortage I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, let's let's talk about some of these routes first, and then and I'll list some of them off, and we can talk about it a little bit. So, uh, Central Wisconsin, College Station, that's Texas, Columbia, Missouri, Evansville, Indiana, Kalamazoo, Michigan, Colleen, Texas, Lansing, Michigan, Monroe, Louisiana, and Winnipeg. They, they lose United Service completely. Um, is it a pilot shortage? Is it a pilot shortage in the regional carriers? Because that's most of what these – I mean, Winnipeg, maybe not, but – Are these all CR2 routes? It kind of looks that way. I know Dulles to Manchester is also on the cut list. It, D- Manchester keeps service to Newark, so it's not listed on the city's yeah. time, but that was a CR2 route. It could be all CR2s. Uh, Northwest Arkansas to San Francisco also loses service. Uh, that was an E-175, I believe, which I think that, that one's interesting to me just because of the Walmart connection. But Yeah, um, but how many people are actually traveling there right now? Yeah, true. Uh, but the others, the others, I'm pretty sure, are all CR2 routes. False. Could this be a drawdown of the CR2s? That's God supposed God to be happening. <laughs> that, that, but that was part of the announcement of the 270 plane order back in April. Yeah. Right. The big order was part of that come with like the fleets growing, but they're also going to be shrinking uh, some of the smallest planes out. So I don't know if they meant it to happen this quickly, but I guess uh, is it is it United being smart and whittling down some of the CR2 routes to save the CR2 pilots for the routes they still need to fly? Could be. Right, because with because uh, they do the when they go from a two to a seven, do they need to be recertified? I would assume it's not the same typewriting for the pilot. Yeah, so you can't, you know, as they move to because they, you know, the trade off is you can pull people, you'd need to pull people out to recertify them for the sevens and five fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than two hundred of the fifty seat regional jets are supposed to leave the fleet, um, quote unquote, in the coming years. I didn't get a timeline on that, but you know, it's a little surprising to me that it's. You know, at one point I thought they were mostly going to focus on the ERJs, not the BR E45s, not the CR2s, but I don't know. I mean, the ones like, uh, so let's see, uh, let's, College Station, Colleen, Monroe, Louisiana, those are all Houston routes and we're all CR2s, I believe. But that still leaves CR2s flying to like Lubbock and Midland from Denver, um, which I, I don't think the CR2s are ever going to leave Denver and San Francisco, unfortunately. But um, I, I, I mean, honestly, I had no idea that United flew to Monroe, Louisiana or Evansville, Indiana. I had no idea. How could you not, Stephen? 
I, I mean, it's they're, they're very random places. Like Evansville, I kind of. I mean, they, they got to compete with the Emirates Triple Seven feed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess. I'm sorry, you, it's not Baton Rouge. My bad. I guess where do you go? Like, I guess Evansville, you go to Louisville, Kentucky, because it's close. For are these EAS routes? No, no. I'm 99 percent sure, but I don't believe so. Yeah, so maybe that's another wild card. Right, if it's not an EAS route, they can cut it. Yeah, could yeah. Be. I don't know. So, I mean, CR2s are relatively expensive to operate, and they need pilots other places. You know, is there truly a pilot shortage? I think the, the answer is, as always, is depends on who you ask. But there are definitely fewer pilots in the system now than there were 18 months ago, based on the number who retired or took buyouts versus how long it takes to get new pilots trained in in the ranks hmm. and complete their 1,500 hours. So, I think something like 4,000 pilots retired or did buyouts relatively early on in the pandemic, which is roughly the equivalent of the largest, uh, all the largest regionals combined. I mean, but I mean, to be clear though, too, some of these cities are losing service entirely from United. It's not just CR2s. Like, like Lansing, Michigan is not going to have any service whatsoever from United. And that's surprising because that's where Michigan State is. But how many people are going to schools right now? Uh, Colleges are in session, man. Yeah, man. They're they're all there. Are they all in person? They are. Um, But, those folks either drive down to Detroit or Grand Rapids, I guess, or Grand Rapids. Like there's, you know, I, I get it. Like it also, like there are other airlines. True. And Americans probably, you know, loving this because they love their E-145s. In Texas, especially they're loving it. I think Delta has a pretty good handle on the stuff up North. Like, you know, you know, it may be that United simply decided they needed to seed these markets to, you know, upgrade pilots to fly more 550s elsewhere. I don't know. I mean, good points. Um, Seattle, Bangalore, and DFW Tel Aviv have uh, been delayed again on American. Are we surprised? No. no. Uh, do we think Bangalore is actually going to start? Maybe. I think it will. I, I don't know how long it'll last, but I think they'll definitely. I, they'll give it a shot. I think they'll put. At this point, I feel like yeah, yeah, shit. We'll fly the plane once, say it didn't work, and be done. But I think they'll tr- they'll do it at one at least once. Um, wow. I don't know. No, I think it'll obviously fly more than just once, but I, I think they'll run it. Um, they sort of is the crux of that West Coast alliance with Alaska Airlines is having feed into Seattle and running long haul, kind of like what Delta did. But Delta decided to actually, you know, run their own airline there instead. And and Seattle, London Heathrow on American is running currently. Um, I don't know how crowded it is, but it's running. So DFW do- Tel Aviv. Uh, I don't know. I guess I could see that happening. I don't know. <laughs> What were you going to say, Foz? Sorry. I mean, it's possible. It's just a matter of when the demand is there, I guess, because these probably aren't very cargo-heavy routes. Yeah. So you need the passenger demand. But I also was I also read that JFK Alaska is dropping JFK Portland and moving to San Francisco. No. Yeah. When did you hear that? I just read it. Mm-hmm. They dropped JFK. That sucks. In other news, news Alaska will move one of its two one of its two excuse me JFK Portland flights down to San Francisco. But I thought they had conceded that they, or is that L.A., that they said they couldn't make work to JFK? It was L.A. L.A. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to believe that San Francisco is any better, but. Yeah, I mean, anyway. I mean, Delta's running a 764 on it, on JFK PDX. Wow. So, I mean, clearly there's demand, and they're filling it. So, But how many, previously, right, my, my recollection on Delta's wide body play was bigger planes, fewer frequencies on a lot of routes. Right now, that's the case. Um, I mean, and next summer they're going to put them all back in the Atlantic Ocean, and then everything will be back to seven thirty sevens and seven fifty sevens domestically. Yeah, I mean they they gave us three twenty ones. I mean they're getting those delivered. Yeah, they probably the Wi Fi installed. 
Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird. Uh, Alaska's market economics that they use. I, I don't really understand. Uh, planes are consistently hundred percent full on them to places and they, they overuse Seattle uh, to it, to the detriment of every passenger that has to go through there. So anyway, haters going to hate. I, I, I like Seattle. <laughs> I like Seattle when it's not, you know, wall to wall people. Like Seattle's fine when it's not wall to wall people. When it's wall to wall people, it is a very tight airport. It's just not a lot of room. So I don't know. Boeing. Um, I would ask the question of what airport is actually very friendly when it's wall to wall people. I'd say Intercontinental IAH when it's very busy. Terminal E is a nice terminal to be in when it's busy. Okay, so I'd say he's got he's got space. C doesn't. Well, yeah, exactly. And, that's what I, that's, I was very well. Concerned. That's not true. C the north part of C does. The new part. Yeah, the new part. Okay. I also have to admit, I don't think I've been in Houston in six years, ten years. I don't know. Um, um, the B banjos, those are super comfortable. Those are gone. No, they're not. Yeah, they are. Not on the north side. I think they're going, right? Not Aren't they yet. Like the next to go? Uh, they're rebuilding the old C North Pier, the one they tore down. Whatever. My only point is that Houston, like many places, like the new stuff was sort of okay. It's like Newark also. Newark, the C3 Pier was built and sort of until they put all the stupid shops in the middle of it, like had space. Um, right. Like even the older peers uh, in C, like C2 was always more, way more crowded. I, w- I would, crowded. but I would argue Seattle is unbelievably crowded, even with not that many, when you, when you look at it, it's not that many people just because of the way it's set up with the North and South terminals and the stupid train and going up and down the escalators. It's a, it's a, it's a nightmare. Like it's just a cluster. When it, adds when compl- it adds some complexity to the experience. It's an experience. Yeah. It's definitely. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. I'm just busting your balls. Yeah. No. No. I mean, it's it's not my favorite place to fly through when it's crowded. So, um, anyway, Boeing, eleven thousand employees seeking vaccination exemptions. Yeah, it's a lot. That, that is a lot. I mean, United had a couple thousand. Also, there's. Uh, Did think? they give that as a percentage of their workforce? I want to say something like ten uh, percent or thereabouts. I want to say they have about one hundred twenty-five thousand employees. Yeah, um, I think it's sort of similar to the one hundred forty thousand, so eight percent maybe. Um, yeah. I will say it sort of reminds me of like the statistic that came out when the NYP, NYPD had a similar thing, like oh everybody's going to quit, no one's going to work here anymore, blah blah blah, and then the deadline hit and there was like oh thirty-four people left, but there were I think. 8,000 who had applied for uh, exemptions or something like that. So it's, it's still a very, there's a much larger number, much larger share. Um, and it's people who, this is the only time they'd ever applied for a religious exemption. So it's going to be a fun game of lawsuits to see who actually gets the vaccination or gets fired. Um, but that just the 11,000 number seemed very large. Yeah, it's a very large. Uh, to which, amusingly, someone I saw responded, yes, perhaps I've got a solution to that whole FOD and tools left behind panels in the fuel tanks during assembly <laughs> situation as well. Um, <laughs> uh, can, can we talk about, I, there was a, there's a ATC clip. Uh, just, this will be the last thing. And then we'll, we'll go to the bonus topic, which is Seth's inability to plan. That's, we're just going to leave it at that. And we'll, we'll talk about it on the bonus episode of your Patreon subscriber. Um, I need help. But uh, yeah, there, there was an ATC clip where a private jet was coming into Morristown. Okay. I think I think this was New Jersey, Morristown, New Jersey, uh, and I guess the ceilings were really low, like really, really, really low. Uh, and the, this plane was complaining; the pilot was complaining that he was having to circle. And he goes, "I don't understand why there was a plane that went in before us, and we we should be able to go in." And the ATC guy was very calmly telling this person, 
well, they went in and they're the ones who reported it. It was just above minimums. So if, if it's at minimums, we can't, we can't run, you can't run the approach. He's like, well, he's like, I think it's fine. Let me just run it. Like he just kept nagging ATC to let him try it. <laughs> and the ATC guy's like, no, you just got to continue the turns. And he, he was getting very belligerent. <laughs> it was, it cracked me up a little bit. Uh, who, who gets to decide when the minimums are there again? So they, the, the next weather report. So whenever the new ADIS information comes, like hourly report. Yeah. And they may even do it more frequently than that, just based on the desire, like people coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the ATC had said, Hey, if you want to divert, you can. Um, yeah. And he's like, no, we want to go to Morristown. <laughs> so just, it just cracked me up. <laughs> I just go to Teterboro and drive the 20 minutes. <laughs> um, and, and it could have been that the weather could have been better, you know, who knows? So. Anyway, what I, you know what I am surprised about the United cans- cancellations is Wilkes Wilkes Bar Scranton didn't show up on that list. Well, they're still running the bus, right? No, that's always been, that's that's, Al- that's, that's Allentown, right? Oh, yeah, Allentown's a bus. Wilkesbury, yeah. yeah the, that was the other random town in northeastern Pennsylvania that gets service. Yeah, but what do they fly that. What do they fly that on? That's Chicago, also though, right? Not it was Newark. Have, it was, was Newark at one point. Was it? it was both Newark and Chicago. Yeah, I can check while we're talking, but um. Um, what is Wilkes-Barre's code? Do you know? AVP. 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 Alpha, Victor, yeah. Papa. Um, survey says, my SQL server slow. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, they, yeah, flying that to Newark is a little absurd. Okay, it looks like they moved it to Dulles. Yeah, I've got Dulles and O'Hare service right now on yeah. a CRJ. No Newark anymore. Nope. Why? A couple times a day, though. You know, they got that going for them. <laughs> Um, well, to our listeners, thanks for listening. Um, if you are a Patreon subscriber, we appreciate it. Stick around for some bonus content. Uh, if you're not a Patreon subscriber, go ahead and do that. And you can get some bonus content, uh, or you can just follow us on Twitter at dots lines, more dots, more lines.com. Thanks for listening. Happy travels. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care.